You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Well, hello there. My name is HW, and thank you so much for listening to a very special episode. Episode 50. I can't believe it. I can't. My, my, how far we've come. (laughs) I can't believe it. 50 episodes of the podcast. We've talked about everything from tone to the the future. Yeah. Tone, the future. Uh My little, my future robot named Duncan. Okay. Um, We've talked about, I don't know. Netflix. Netflix. We talked about, I, I can't even remember, just ev- like... Stoogy. Stoogy. Michael Britt. Michael Britt's been on here. This is really... You got, it's a, off to a good start. It's off to a good start. Uh-huh. I, if you can still call 50 a start, you know. I mean, I think I think we're, we're maybe getting into a groove. Mm-hmm. But we've got a very special guest today, the one and only... The Suze. The Suze. What's the Suze is here. I'm glad to be here, man. How have you not been on in the first 50 I don't episodes? Know. Well, you you blazing through these podcasts. Actually, you were on um, an episode, you may not remember, where we tried a Sonic hamburger. That's right. I would say the first dozen or so episodes of the podcast were pretty burger heavy. Yeah. It, it was burger a, heavy content. I think we actually had a conversation about changing it to HW Knows Food mm-hmm. for a while there. Because, like, do you remember that time that we ate together and you had, like, about 35 minutes <laughs> worth of, like, tasting <laughs> notes for me? Like, we were talking about, like, there's this restaurant that you go to and, it, like, it serves the pork this way with, like, the reduction right. and, right. like, all this stuff. I think you looked right. up at me, like, about 20 minutes into that soliloquy and... I mean, we're like, you knew you had lost me, you know, because I was just like, uh-huh, kind of, kind of blank stares. But, um, yeah, we did that one. What else did we do? Um, I think we did one in where we went guitar shopping. Did you ever? I think we did. Did that one post with, uh, with so. John? I think. That was the blue, like, Bluesman Vintage, mm-hmm. you know. Remember when you almost bought that um, that baritone? Like, it's, t- it's still there. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, how useful is a baritone guitar? It's expensive. It was $1,600, but it was $1,600. It was a $1,600 Bluesman vintage, like handmade in the States. It's a good deal for what it is. Yeah. But how useful is a baritone? I guess it's in comparison to, like my buddy just bought one of those, um, the Gretsch, like Mm -hmm. black uh, sparkle Jets. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a baritone. Yeah. And I think he uses it in proportion to what it costs him, which is about $400. Yeah. He might use it like once a month in a set or something, you know, or track apart, you know, but the money to usability ratio is. Yeah. You got to be careful with those. You really do. Especially when there are guitars that could be 1650 that you could use every day all the time. Right, yeah. There's a lot in that price range. Uh-huh. Yeah. That would be really great additions mm-hmm. to a repertoire. It's hard to, to justify. Today's podcast is brought to us by the oh, lovely yeah. people of British Audio. Yeah. Um, Can I say it? Go ahead. Best deal in the Kemperverse. Best deal in the Kemperverse, the Tone Junkie Loaded Podcast, available exclusively at British Audio. Did you say um, Tone Junkie Loaded Podcast? The Tone Junkie Loaded Camper, available exclusively at British Audio. Yeah. And um, uh, they just gave me some good news. People have been buying them. Really? Yeah. Which means the podcast can it's, keep going. It's working. It's really working. Yeah. Does that mean they're actually a sponsor now? I think so. Like, because they're getting 
business, and I, we're. Getting, I think so. That's amazing. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a real. It is a great deal, although I mean, if you're if you're gonna get a brand new Kemper, it's free you, profiles. You need to jump into profiles. Yes. Yeah. Five. I mean, five hundred. I'm just happy that it's around because so many people would message me and go, "I've okay, okay, your video finally convinced me to buy a Kemper." Right. Yeah. Or. You know, I had one guy just tell me, okay, the Stoogie stuff just finally convinced me to buy a Kemper. Mateus Asado just commented on Stu's stuff and really? said, uh, it said something like, wow, sounds great. You're one of the few guys I look up to who's, Interesting. Um, uh, who's got me, th- I don't know if you already said something about a Kemper. Can so you remind like, me, one- was Mateus a... He had a Kemper or was involved somehow with I Kemper. thought he had a Kemper. He was in the group for a while. Well, no, no, that wasn't really him. That was not him. <laughs> no, that was not really Mateus Asado. This is news to me. No, there was a oh. fake Mateus Asado guy going around. And uh, uh, I think I sent him some free profiles in case it was Mateus. And, but no, he had I a, had no idea. What about no. the guy from Snarky Puppy? Was that guy real? Oh, yeah. Mark Letiri's really in the, in the group. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Mark's really in the group, yeah. Is Stu G real? Shout out to Mark Letiri. Stu uh, G is in the group twice. Once as his Stu G page, once as, okay. his, as his personal He's page. He's double down. He's really in there. Yeah, okay. He's really in there. Stu's more of an Instagram guy, though. Okay. Yeah. You know, he's pretty active on Instagram. Uh, enough talking about uh, Stu and British Audio mm. and all this stuff. We've got a lot to talk about. Gosh. Um, let's see. It's, uh, it's, a, it's mm. a different vibe on this podcast. Because usually we're down here with coffee and it's the morning. Oh, really? Midday. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. It's 9.20 at night. You and me just loaded up on wings. Oh, gosh. We talked about... The, Teslas the, and church politics yeah. over dinner. It was delicious. It was delicious. Buffalo Wild Wings. We got to get together more and not do guitar stuff. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right, too. Because a lot of people don't know that this Tone Junkie started right here in this basement. It did. Because we were already hanging out. Yeah. Doing guitar. I mean, it was like, okay, I met you through John. Uh-huh. And we We met. Get, do you realize we went back tonight to the room we met in? It's like a, we're having a little... It's like full circle. Reunion. We didn't sit at the same table, I don't believe. You know what? It makes the story better. They sat us at the same table. At the same one. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. That was for a fight. I actually met you, because a lot of people say, oh, did you meet John through church or through music or Mm -hmm. anything like that? I was like, no, I actually met John through... UFC. (laughs) A UFC fight. A UFC fight. Um, Was it McGregor? Was he up that night? So this is it. Nobody who even was at that UFC fight was really into UFC, but I'm a big wrestling fan. And Brock okay. Lesnar had gone from WWE back uh, to UFC. Okay. So I wanted to see Lesnar fight. So I told John and Alex, our other friend, mm-hmm. I said, we got to go see this fight. And so we went and that got people hooked on okay. UFC. And ever since then, going and seeing UFC fights at Buffalo Wild Wings has been a kind it's of a regular thing. thing we do. Right. And it's, I've been a couple times, but not often because mm-hmm. of the wings are great. The fight is sort of brutal. Right, right. You know, um, but I like McGregor. I'll just watch him do anything. I think he's so funny. He just retired. No, I thought he had another fight coming up. Did that already happen? Um, no, he retired. Gosh. He said, I'm retiring. Which doesn't, I don't know how that, how that Didn't works. He? Did is he that... just, or maybe he did that before and then he came back. Well, he had that, that fight with a boxer, which was incredible. 
to watch. What was that big fight? Uh, the Mayweather money yeah, fight. That was awesome. Look, they called it the money fight, and they fight for the money belt. They're okay. not being coy about what this is about. Right. I mean, this it's is, not stopping anyone from yeah. like, engaging with it or watching. Actually, I think McGregor's back. I can't remember. I think he said he was going to retire. So I can't remember. Somebody just retired that it's I thought was interesting. It's good for business. Interesting. Yeah, and then he just come out of retirement. Yeah. So anyway, so... We met there, you know, and then we just uh-huh. started playing guitar and like uh, in your basement, we'd come over and yeah. do like, you know, I was John's and, friend. You were John's friend. Yeah. We all play music and yeah, we would just have these nights of like playing like incredible amps and like, let's try this in stereo. Do you remember yeah. that night that we got like that holy grail tone of the, the, the memory man, the deluxe memory man into like the dry out when like the it was wet. a sir, it was a sir Bella yeah. uh-huh. and wasn't it the AC 30? Yeah. Yeah, I went to, or yeah. the DAG, one of those. The DAG, that's what it was. And it was the Morgan DAG. Turned which is them both a, up. Yeah, I mean, we were all like jaw on the floor, like that. That sounds incredible. And it know? was, yeah, because that 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 it's basically a wet dry rig. Yeah, where uh-huh. it's where the dry, the direct out goes to one, and then the wet goes to the other. Yeah. And I don't remember how we had it set up exactly, but one of those amps was. It was dry so good. It actually might have been that night where you ended up saying, "Like we got to film these." I mean, we're yeah. like landing on some killer tones. Right. I think people would enjoy, right. uh, whatever watching yeah. or listening or you know. Yeah, we were saying this deluxe memory man with these two amps, and maybe it was my Surf Strat at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a Jam Pro, um, or I don't know what guitars I had. You know, I had the PRS and the mm-hmm. Surf Strat. I don't know. You had some stuff. Maybe you had your no-cast mm-hmm. or your who knows. But um, we were like, these are some of the best tones ever. Not just in this room. Just ever. Just amazing. Tone. Ever. We were like, we got to film this. We didn't want to keep it to ourselves. We're, we like to share. We Sharing. did. And I thought, I, in the back of my mind, I thought, no one is going to care about this. Like, we'll, we'll do this like... <laughs> We'll, we'll keep doing this for a couple of weeks, you know, and film a couple and then you'll get tired of like editing them or just something, you know, and then we'll just, it'll be a hobby that like, remember that time that we like filmed a couple things. Yeah. But golly, look at, look at us now. <laughs> look at us now. <laughs> 50 episodes in, uh, with a real sponsor. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we can call. Okay, yeah, fine, yeah. Fine, yeah. fine, fine, fine. Um, I'm actually glad I have such a good relationship with British Audio because they repaired a preamp for me that I forgot about until like two days ago, and I realized mm. it's been there like over two months. <laughs> and I, it's long, long been fixed. I just remembered it, and I was like, "Wait yeah. a minute! I guess they're not in a rush to get it out of there. I only, I've never got a call about it again." Hopefully, they just reached out and was like, "Do you want this back?" No, they were. They reached out two months ago, and then, but then I, I, I went to California after. Oh, uh, okay. And then I came back. No, Alyssa was going. I don't remember. We didn't go to California. That was more recent. I can't remember. Anyway, they've had. I, I went back and looked at the email that I got about it, and I was like, oh man, that was like that was two months ago. Yeah, I did that with a guitar one time. I dropped a guitar off to my guy that like did setups and repairs mm-hmm. and everything like that, mm-hmm. and he had it for over a year. Like, I forgot that he had it. Wow. <laughs> and then um, I got a call that he had moved, like, locations. I thought you were going to say like, he died, and they uh, were liquidating. He did have a heart attack, though. <laughs> this was back in Fords in California. <laughs> right, yeah. But it was just, like, this crazy thing of, like, do you want this back? Like, that'll be $60, you know? It was right. just like... <laughs> Was oh my gosh! Like, was that yeah. the storage fee or the yeah. fee for labor? It was just like the, for the setup. Yeah, 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 yeah. It felt like a new guitar day. It was right. like, oh wow, I've always wanted one of these. Wow. 
So tell us about, let's get into the origin story. Yeah. Here. Mm-hmm. You know, they've seen the Avengers movie, but now we've got to go back and introduce the characters. Sure. Uh huh. Where did the Sues come from? Gosh, going back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. Where were you born? So I was born in um, Oakland, California. Really? Yeah. I didn't even know this. See, I don't, I don't, I'm going to learn stuff here. Oh, yeah. It's very, Oakland, California, not far from HW. Right, yeah. Born right in uh, Daly City, California. Oh, yeah. Okay. Seton Hospital. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kaiser? Sure. <laughs> Pretty general. One of those. Um, <clears throat> Kaiser's yeah. up there. Uh, born uh, to Merle and Margie, my folks. And I've got an older brother. His name is Phil. Mm. He's about three years older. And uh, so, yeah, we uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. Does he go by the Sioux as well? No. Hmm. But my my dad has a shirt that says the original Sioux <laughs> that we made for him. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, kind of a funny, I'm sure he wouldn't mind, or even listen to this podcast. I mean, <laughs> maybe he will. But it's, it was funny because we got him that shirt and it said the original Sioux on it. And then it said EST. 1950 and he opened it up on his birthday or father's day or whatever you know and he's like oh my gosh the original Sue's like estimated 1950 yeah and we were all just like uh that's not what that means that's not what that means yeah like all the signs like on houses like we're estimating at this point we believe this was i know when you were born like, why would I estimate that? Uh, um, anyway, so, yeah, so he's been known to yeah. be called a Seuss. Um, but, yeah, so we lived in the uh, Bay Area. We lived in Fremont for a while. Yeah. Um, and then we moved from Fremont over to Livermore, which is known for its windmills. It is. Uh, just right on that hill of 580. Oh, I've been. Yeah. I've been. So we lived there for... Um, Basically, kind of my, my whole life up until I moved away to go to college. Mm-hmm. So, fond memories of San Francisco. Wait, so you moved away. Where'd you go to school? For college. Uh-huh. So, I went to Azusa Pacific yeah. University uh-huh. um, in L.A. County. and. Um, but then where did your parents go during that time? Were they, they still stayed in Northern California? Yeah, they, they stayed. Yeah. So, my dad was a pastor growing up. Yeah. Um, did music, uh, worship leading. And ended up um, doing preaching for a while. What does a Merle worship service sound like? Is it like Hank Marvin on the guitar? So he didn't really play. Uh, like, he just sang. Yeah. Which was kind of a, like a thing in the 90s. Like, do you remember uh-huh. Ron Cannoli? Yeah. It was, I mean, yeah. very influenced by that kind of music. and yeah, like Ron Maranatha. Holy Cannoli. Yeah. Uh-huh. Holy Cannoli. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so it was, uh, you know, the choir and like there'd be orchestra. Yeah, Yanni. Times, yeah. Yeah, Kirk, would, Kirk uh, Franklin. They would throw around terms like a Christmas cantata, you know, like things <laughs> yes. like that. You know, this yeah. was the environment that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, but it was great actually growing up in the church and being around music, and I got to know all the musicians. Like, sure. Uh, he was a drummer, uh, a little known fact. Uh, do you know the band Tower of Power? Yes. From Oakland. Yeah. So uh-huh, he was are. their original drummer. Wait, who? My dad. <laughs> what? Yeah. So Merle? He, so he played with those guys yeah. in a band called the Motowns yeah. in, in Oakland. And they were at, um, gosh, I don't know where, like not Berkeley, uh, not Berkeley, but like a school like that in yeah. uh, that area. And... Um, 
Yeah, and so they had done all these, you know, kind of funk stuff with some R&B thrown in and whatever. And my dad was drumming and all that stuff. And I think the story goes that he uh, maybe accepted the Lord during that time or, mm-hmm. like, sort of made, a like, a life change. Yeah. And um, got out of the band when they were writing the song, What is Hip? <laughs> Which ended up becoming a, you know... Right. A super smash. Yeah. And so as he was leaving, like David Garibaldi, like came in and like sat at the drums and like they, you know, blew up. So uh, it was one of those, I don't know if you'd call that a missed opportunity. Cause, so Merle is the original drummer. Yeah. And he would like later go to fairs, you know, where they'd be playing, you know, and they would like Merle like, after the show, like they come over and like, you know, just wow. remember and reminisce and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Anyway, so he was a drummer. So uh, the instrument I actually learned uh, growing up was drums. Mm-hmm. You know, so I ended up playing drums for worship, and would play in his band. So he would lead worship, yeah, and I would play drums. How long is a cantata, and is that tiring on the drums? By the time I played drums, <laughs> this was like. <laughs> you know, years past cantatas, you know. Right, like, right, uh, right, right. Remember Salty, the singing songbook? Did you ever do anything like that? With no. Basically, I mean, you, you can see it in your mind. It's, it's uh-huh. a big blue person wearing a, a book as an outfit. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know. Right, right. The singing songbook. Uh, so we would do that. Those were like big hits. And that's know? part of the cantata? That was like a, you know. A musical that we would put on it. Like churches did things like that all they the did. time. They did back in the eighties and nineties. They did because that's what the kids were into. It it left a lasting impression on me. So when did you start playing the guitar? So I started. Um, so the funny thing happened in high school. Like when you're a drummer, you can't just get out your instrument and start playing for like girls right, like right. on the steps at high school, right. you know? So everyone would get their guitars out and like do all these cool things. And it's like, I would have like my sticks, you know? Right. And so basically at that point I went to the local music store and I saved up $99 yeah. to buy the sunburst acoustic that was in the window, you know? And like, and I bought it and I brought it home. What was and the like, make? Um, I think actually, I think it was an uh, EKO, an echo. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought that guitar, brought it home, and was like, okay, the first song I ever learned was Jesus Freak, DC Talk, and I learned it flat on my lap, like it was a lap steel, and I played it with my thumb. I don't really know why, but I have vivid memories. Did you think that's how the guitar was played? It seemed like an easy way to like learn where the frets were, because I would just take my thumb and put it on the different frets and pick it with my finger. So like... And that, like, that was like, I play guitar now. Yeah. What that my is dad so strange. At that point, I, I wish I could go back. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Son, what are you doing? Son, you've seen a guitar. Right. Being in bands, playing drums, like, just play like they play, you know? So what, how, so you eventually picked it up? So, yeah. So the guitar player in our band, we had a little band, you know, um, at the time he would teach me chords, you know? So like all of a sudden I'm starting this like little transition from like, I play drums, I enjoy drums. I play my church, play in this band. Right. Um, to picking up chords or he, like songs we wrote, I would be like, how do you play that? Like on the guitar, you know, so I could play it on drums, but then I also learned it on guitar. Um, and so at that point, when I went to college, like that was all through high school, when I went to go to uh, Azusa, um, I auditioned to play drums and right. got in as a you know worship drummer and like did the mm-hmm. did some tours as like a drummer and like the whole thing. 
Um, but then this one year, they said that the guitar player was leaving our school. And so we had a full band with no guitar player. Right. And they said, we know other drummers. Like, we can get, you know, our buddy to play drums. Could you play guitar instead? Like, could you transition over? So, like, to me, it was like, I just want to be in the band. Right, like, right. I, you know, you tell me what you need most. Like, right. well, we need a guitar player. And then Nick Fury walked in. Yeah. And, like, there he is. He said, Suze. I want to talk to you about joining the Avengers Initiative. <laughs> right. And that's when my life took a crazy turn. Yeah. Um, not about music at all, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so at that point, I mean, I sold my drum gear, bought wow. some guitar stuff, yeah. like yeah. basically spent all summer long trying to, you know, figure out. Not only how to play guitar, but like worship guitar. Like that was right. really like listening. So, what was your first amp? My first amp was a Crate Vintage Fifty. Yeah. Are you aware? Super three ten or one fifteen or two twelve. Okay. Had the black like grate on the front. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm familiar. I had one of those. Yeah. Tube. I mean, it's pretty cool. You know. Actually, I take that back. I had a a DOD, like a purple amp before that was I think solid state had like effects like built into it. Yeah, that, I'm not counting that. <laughs> My first like legit amp Your was first amp, amp. Oh, yeah, with tubes in it. You know? First electric guitar. Uh, it was a Sir, wasn't it? It was a Sir. <laughs> it was um, a- but my second... Okay, do you, uh, did you ever go to a store called Starving Musician yeah. in San Jose? Yeah, yeah. San Jose, they had one in Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah, they had a couple, yeah. So I remember, because uh, I had that acoustic guitar, uh-huh. and so my dad said, this is all these funny stories are coming back to my mind. So like, I remember <laughs> thinking in the JC Penny catalog, yeah. you know, um, when that would come, like you'd go straight to the back and look sure. at, all, look at all the toys. Yeah. They had a guitar in there that had a speaker built, in. built into it. And I thought like, that was like the end all like coolest thing ever. Like that you wouldn't need an amp. You could deliver just, all your tones. Like it had a volume and some gain. Like it was just like, perfect it's built in yeah right. and so i begged my parents for that guitar and you know and i always got video games and like everything but that guitar right so i bugged them and they said why don't we go to a, like a legit music store i had no idea you know like let's just get you a electric guitar and a cable we have to profile that guitar with and an amp. amp yeah it, dude, it was a it was <laughs> and this little dod amp. <laughs> right dude if i could find that amp i would profile that uh, it would be my packs would be the thirty fifteen, the Morgan, and the DOD. Like those would be my three packs. Uh, Gracious, um, yeah. So anyway, it was an Ibanez like starter pack. It was like a red Ibanez mm-hmm. with a cable and then a little amplifier yeah. and like a strap for like two nineteen. You know, it was like yeah. the whole thing. So I played. Yeah, I played that guitar for for years before, you know, you sell it at some point. I, yeah, I bought a. Uh, my next one was like like a bright yellow like stratocaster yeah and i thought it was like well this is it this is it I got my red ibanez with a like a like bolt on the headstock yeah and my yellow strat yeah i remember getting a double fat strat to a strat with two humbuckers two humbuckers yeah and i remember learning to play things like um what's the song um uh, my uh my name is jonas yeah, yeah, Weezer, Weezer you know? yeah. And, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe I learned um, Come As You Are by Nirvana. Okay. And uh, maybe an Offspring song or something. And uh, 90s radio Thinking hits. that was it. Oh, this yeah. is it. Yeah. I've got a Strat. 
Yeah, but it's got humbuckers. That makes it even right. cooler. Like I can sweeten it up, but I can also rock it yeah, out. Yeah, and I can yeah. learn all the... Oh, yeah. I know these songs. I remember I had intense buyer's remorse after bringing that Strat home. And tell, really? telling my parents, like, I got the wrong guitar. I don't like it. It didn't sound like... I did in the store. Like, I just remember, like, really struggling at, like, 16. Yeah. You know, that I had gotten the wrong guitar. Like, what do I do now? You know? Little did I know that at 30, you know, 7, I would still have these thoughts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is this the right guitar for you me? You never escaped them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is funny. We, we always do have those thoughts. We never really shake them. Do we ever get to a place? Like, I think of, like, I was just talking with somebody on the phone, and guy from the from the Kemper group, Kemper PNW group. Mm-hmm. And we were talking and Tommy came up. And we were like, what is going on with Tommy? Is he coming back? Right. How long is this going to take? Where I mean, like but isn't that just true of all of us? I feel yeah. like in some way Tommy's just gutsy enough to sure follow these little impulses that maybe the rest of us are like, no, but we'll it is funny. I have a, a couple people in my life that I have like some social anxiety around. They're like, if I get something, like, will they think it's cool? Yeah. Like yeah. you and John are like not like that, you know. But like, there's some people that are like, most of my friends, you know, are like down with the Kemper. But there's a couple people are like still playing that thing, huh? Like not going back to tubes or <laughs> you know, like you moved to Nashville and like. You know, don't care about tone anymore. Like, right. you know, so you just give up. There's a little bit of like a, you know, what will people think if I get this, like, you know, fill in the blank piece of gear, mm-hmm. you know? But it's, I mean, Tommy I just, is, is I, just chasing his his own his own heart, you know, with all and the, maybe his own tail. In his uh, own yeah, way. well, it's <laughs> a bit of like circular coming back to things. I feel yeah. like like when you flip a guitar before you've even received the guitar, that's when you know that there's some issues going on. One thing I think that I wonder if he's realized there is a kind of a common thread among these amplifiers that he's gotten. They're all lower wattage. Uh-huh. They all tend to be. EL84 or 6V6. So he does like, I think, the compression that comes along with a smaller mm-hmm. power section. Um, and just a lower wattage kind of amp. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him go to a full 100 watt. I've oh, never sure. I've never seen yeah. him go like, HW, this Plexi is the thing. Or mm-hmm. this like, this Sir PT100. Just like, give him a couple more weeks. Yeah. Carmen Ghia, <laughs> AC30s. Yeah. Um, uh, Dr. Z, uh, you know, Benson, uh, which those Benson amps are the, I, I, dude, no, no joke. I've been trying to get my other friends to buy them just so I can like be around them more, you know, uh, I went and played, uh, a Monarch at like a local dealer in town and just, you know, when we profiled it, like, you know, it's in the other room, it's mic'd up, like all this stuff. But like the visceral experience of like sitting in front of it and plugging into it and just like cranking out chords, I was like, this may be like one of the best amps I've ever heard. I, I remember, and it's been a while since I played a Monarch, but I remember thinking, I like this, this Chimera a lot, mm-hmm. but it was 212. And I remember thinking, if I was going to have an amp at this point and keep an amp around, mm-hmm. Uh, this monarch would be one of them. Now, at the time, I, I wasn't using the amp, 
and it was too expensive to keep around to justify because mm-hmm. I had some other amps that I didn't want to sell. I didn't want to sell my Cerebella. I didn't want to sell the AC30. I hadn't come to the realization that I was never going to use these again <laughs> in the way they were intended. Right. I was going to plug them in and maybe maybe we would plug in a deluxe memory man to both of them, but I was never going to use them again right. because the Kemper had, was spoiling me. You know, it's funny. Stu G just called me and he said, you know, I'm, I'm really... I'm really liking these. I'm really liking the. the uh, what do you say? I'm using these. Um, well, I can read it. Um, I'm, <laughs> it's on. the wording. You I want to get, get the it right. right. I, well, I don't want to misquote him. Sure. But now at this point, I'm just reading his texts on the podcast, which I'm sure is equally as rude. But um, <laughs> hang on. Wait, did I miss his name? Uh, here we go. He said, you know, he's using some real amps. And he said, but mm-hmm. I'm struggling to get the sound right. It took way longer to get where I was happy. Now I'm wondering if I should investigate a stereo power amp and speakers to go with the Kemper. See, he's been doing the Kemper, right. and now they're going on this Newsboys tour where he's um, he's been using the Kemper with, with Michael W. Smith and the Surrounded Tour, mm-hmm. where they do the small stage and the crowd surrounds them. Mm-hmm. And they were doing the big stage and then the B stage thing. And because of the B stage thing, it was like the Kemper just makes sense. I can't bring an amp over here. And then it was like, and and then they did that for a little while. And then it was like, I'll just use the Kemper on both because I love the sound I'm getting. The Kemper sound guy loves it. And now he's, it's Michael W. Smith and the Newsboys. Mm-hmm. And he's got, uh, uh, the, the guys in the Newsboys are doing, um, you know, big amps. So he's like, so I need an amp on stage because he's got to play the Newsboy songs with him. Mm-hmm. And now it's the thing of going back to a tube sure. amp. And it's yeah. like, wait a minute. Yeah. This doesn't sound quite as good because it's not my amps. Like I'm not bringing my AC30 and mm-hmm. my park. Mm-hmm. I'm using other stuff, right? Great stuff, but it's yeah. just different, right? Yeah. And, and then things move around night to night and stuff. So now he's like, maybe I should get a stereo power amp and some. And I was telling him, makes sense. We could, you could get a Mission Four Twelve. Yeah. You know the the ones with the the blank speaker kind of things, uh-huh. or you could wait stereo. for the yeah and yeah. a power amp that mm-hmm. would work. You know that would totally work. It's funny how I prefer the Kemper now over a real amp. Yeah. Because now it's like. It's almost like my pedal board is in the Kemper too, because I can get so used to those effects. Oh yeah, and I have them all dialed in, and now yeah. I can't. You know, I have to go build a pedal board too. I don't know if I told you that experience where I flew out to a like a conference in um, in Arizona. Yeah, and our drummer who also has incredible electric guitar gear was like, "Hey, I'll mm-hmm. just bring you a rig, so you don't have to fly out with anything." I was like, "Oh, that's great." So he had, you know, like a Nash Telly and a Duo Jet and like a right. loaded pedal board. It was awesome. And I thought about flying out with the Kemper, just the Kemper. But then I said, hey, just, you know, bring an amp. So he brought a divided by 13 uh, JRT 915. and Which we're going to profile very soon. It's a, a wonderful amp. My buddy's got know? a JRT and I've got a CJ11 that's been collecting dust in this room over FTR? here. FTR also somewhere? I should get one. I'm excited for it. the divided amps are great, right? Do you know anybody who owns any other divideds in town? Ask around. I just need it for a day. <laughs> That's how long it takes. Uh, so I'm at, the, at this gig. Unless and he, it's really hard to dial in. Some amps you got to get to know. Some right. I find the divided stuff that I've played has all been relatively straightforward. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, you know, and I don't know. Yeah. It could be different. 
So I plug in all the stuff, you know, and fire it up, put my ears in, start playing, and right away I'm like, this is a struggle. Like, this doesn't sound right. It's like I went back there and moved the mic around. What were you doing with your pedal board? Like, what was I using? Yeah. There's like it was the, your board, or no, it was his. his. Everything was his, but yeah. it was like timeline to me. It was like sure, a, sure. my board, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the issue was the amp. Like I was like trying to get this amp to sound right with a fifty-seven on it, and like trying to and through the ears and all this stuff. And I couldn't like stop thinking we would be done with this if this was the Kemper, you know. Like yeah. because part of the thing too is like. If you get now, it, like I've made that flip where it's like if I get to a gig and have to play an amp, I'm hoping I can dial it in to sound good. That's right. completely gone with the Kemper. Right. Like I'm going to plug into it and I can think about playing. I think about the, about the set. Like I don't have to ever think, gosh, I hope I can get a starting tone that I'm happy with. You right. know what I mean? Like right, that's gone. Right. You know? Hope the guitar sounds good tonight. Yeah. Hope the tone's right tonight. Yeah. And, and the other gig that I did, I think it was over last summer, um, it was me playing a Kemper remote only. And then the other guy playing like a nice Elliott with a huge board into two like great amps. Yeah. And we played for a week long. And the whole week he was saying like, how do I get that tone about my rig? Yeah. You know, and it was like this kind of this backwards conversation of like, actually you you brought up something in a, a recent podcast that, that I had some thoughts on. So I'm glad we're here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, and I, you never came out and really said this, but I felt like you, this is where you were headed was all so far. All we've been asking of the Kemper is to sound like amps. Like, can we get this box to recreate amp tones that we already had uh-huh. and no more? Yeah. And so my response to that is we, that that's assuming that that amp tone it can't get better than that. Like that right. cannot be improved right. upon, you know? Right. And so now I'm at the point now where it's like, can we be asking different questions about the Kemper? Not, can you just reproduce these it's, amp tones, but take them further, right? Than they right. ever could have gone, right. you know? And I'm actually happier now. A hundred percent. Not because it recreated, but because it actually made new tones for me, which I'm happier with. You know, I've got two examples running through my head. Mm. The Volante. Can you on a traditional tape machine mute the first repeat mm. and only play the sure. subsequent feedback? Or can you only play the first repeat of some heads and mute the rest of the feedback of the other heads? Put some on the left, put some put on some the right. On the you can't do that yeah. stuff. The Volante is taking inspiration from the past and sort of the quirkiness and the musicality. You know, it's interesting. It's taking some of the limitations of the gear from the past which may have been responsible for a lot of creativity because it pushes the user one direction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It pushes us towards something that we're familiar with so we don't, so we don't have option paralysis, right. right? It's not like, here is a Kemper. It's a 10,000 band EQ. You can make it sound like anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, but how? Mm-hmm. We would spend the next 10 years arguing about how. How do you low cut? How do you high cut? These are a lot of the things I see. Honestly, this is one problem with the Helix. And I don't mean to get on the Helix. No. I, I've really grown a, in, a, in appreciation of the Helix doing mm-hmm. it, but I can't tell you how counterproductive. I will say this, being very involved in the Kemper community and very involved in the Helix community. This will be my, my only criticism of the Helix community for the night. It's not the Helix community's fault. It's the design of the Helix makes it difficult to build community and go anywhere else 
when new people entering the community all have to ask the same questions over and over、mm. and over and over and over again. Now, that might be true for the Kemper to a degree, but when you have to keep asking, what's the best this? What's the best this? What's the best this? It, it, it starts to become like if I were to design the Helix again, how could we give the users less options to get started、mm-hmm. and then give them access to all the options?、Right. And I think, in a way, one of the things that I like about the Kemper is that, is that here is a profile. Enjoy.、Mm-hmm. And it has all these parameters sort of put in. Now, of course, there's presets like that in the Helix,、mm-hmm. but it's just so much more of an. The Helix is, is asking you to tweak it. Right. You know what I mean? It doesn't appear to me to be doing the really great thing that Volante is doing in that it's taking inspiration from these other things and giving you more options than you had, but really just pushing you towards tone that's inspiring, creative.、Mm-hmm. And, It's really easy in big systems like the Helix, like Axe, not just Helix, like Bias 2.、Mm-hmm. When these things, when there's too many options,、yeah. where do you go from there? It's,、right. it's too much. Like, it's really hard. There's a lot to overcome. There's to a ton to, to overcome and a ton to go like. like, are you happy with the sound? Well, yeah, I am, but I haven't explored all of it. So I'm really not even sure if I'm completely happy、mm-hmm. yet.、Yeah. I haven't gotten into it all. But at the same time, Like digital gives us unending possibility.、Mm-hmm. Where once we are so familiar, like there's a lot of things I wish the Kemper had right now. I wish the Kemper was giving me more control over the signal chain.、Mm-hmm. And I know that it's software based, it can do that. The only problem is, is they've locked us into this sort of signal chain that's represented on the front, which is why to me, Kemper 2 is not going to be an improvement on the technology.、Mm-hmm. Kemper 2 is going to be Kemper 1 that I can move stuff around. Kemper 2 is going to be Kemper 1 that I can run two amps、mm-hmm. in, this, in, in two different blocks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it might have a, a different screen and a floorboard thing.、Mm-hmm. But the technology hasn't, to me, hasn't been beaten yet. Right. Maybe X3. People say, people who have an X3 say it's better.、Mm. I don't have an X3. I haven't played one. I'd love to get one. I'm probably、yeah. going to get one eventually, but I'm in no rush. <laughs> I believe it.、Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, it's.、Um, It's interesting. Where do we go? Like, how far do you push in? Like, I, like, this is my real thing. If we could profile an amp, why can't we have profiled the pieces? And why can't I literally just do kind of what I think the Helix flirts with, but is not known as the main thing in the Helix, which the Helix gives you preamps separate from the amplifiers themselves.、Mm-hmm. So there's no separate power amp. But what if we could just take classic preamps and classic power amps and swap them out?、Mm-hmm. What if we could change tubes in a digital environment、right. in a way that is really like true to sort of how it would like react in the real world? We could be building digital circuits that would be maybe even possible in the real world, but maybe wouldn't be practical.、Mm-hmm. You know, we could build an amp with four preamps in the same power amp,、mm-hmm. but it's also a stereo power amp. and... At the switch of a button, you could switch to a different、yeah. preamp. You, know,、uh, you become kind of like an、uh, amp builder at that point. Yeah. Like, I've always liked this. I've always liked this. I'm going to put them together. You could send all your repeats through a different tube set or a different circuit than you send your other stuff、mm-hmm. through. 
or you could send it to different speaker emulations, you know, before mm-hmm. you hit up anything. I mean, you could be changing, you could be building rigs that are just entirely ridiculous in real right. life. Not even yeah. the edge would touch this stuff, mm-hmm. but you could be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's building on amps that exists. Basically we've stalled like, out like, like recreating. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. using, but, but I'm saying like go further. Yeah. Let them sound like anything, mm-hmm. you know, like tweak it. Like what if, Six V sixes had more headroom. What if we could add negative feedback? What if we could add direct mix in to a different part of the circuit? Mm-hmm. That's where I go with the amp builders, where I'm like, you know all the stuff that could be done. You know, like mm-hmm. you know the stuff you're doing. You know, like where could we put it? The definition control, I have it on good authority, is really measuring the amount of bass going into the gain stage. That's why it's brighter, higher, mm-hmm. and, and deeper, lower. Yeah. Because that's something that you do when you add gain to an amp. You dump bass before. Mm-hmm. So you get more defined tones by dumping the bass first. How much low end are you sending in? That that's really what the definition control is kind of mm-hmm. controlling. Not so much brightness, but how much low frequency is going in before the gain stage. Mm-hmm. And then that affects what comes out of the gain stage. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like like frequencies are going to be created in the gain stage. So when stage. you turn up the definition control, you're like less bass is going to Dumping the Dumping bass before that signal gets into the quote-unquote gain, gain yeah. stage. Makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if that's exactly what's going on. That's Michael Britt's theory. Mm. i got to give props to him. He said it on this podcast, so I can't... I'm a, no, I don't want to take credit for it, but I can't right. take credit for it. But he said it here on this podcast that he's pretty sure that's what it's doing because amp makers would do that. Like that's how you would get more you would get a tone similar to that but at the same time we've never seen an analog variable bass control before a gain stage like that Mm -hmm. like makers do it like friedman has to before gain stages dump low end or else you'll just get this muddy crazy Mm -hmm. mess because each gain stage is going to add so much low end in it's going to amplify low and create low end right so you don't want a ton so and you know if you're if you're Dave Friedman, like I think the challenge is, how do I get even more gain, more gain, and and it still be a musical tone? Yeah. And like you listen to BE100, and that's it's like amazing how much gain is on. <laughs> you're like I couldn't even. Your ears are hearing this amount of gain that you're like I didn't fathom this amount of gain before. Mm. I've never heard this. Anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> Well, I mean, I was kind of just going through these different experiences gigging with the, yeah, yeah, the Kemper, yeah. you know, and um, and just really comparing it to my own experience of using a Kemper in a real amp. And then it was so interesting, like, side by side with a rig that was, I mean, should have been brilliant sounding sure. and, and probably was, like, sitting in front of it. Right, but translating through the front of house and translating through the ears. What amp did you say it was? I can't really remember. I know maybe it was a JRT I'm, said right. It was oh was the that, one I played. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The one this other guy was playing. There was two amps and he was running them in stereo and it should have. I mean, I took my ears out and listened to the amps. I was like, this sounds incredible. But by the time we put our ears in and we listened to out to front of house or whatever, I mean even even the sound guy was going back and forth with him about how can you do this? Can you do this? And then after the thing, he was like, you don't got to do anything. Oh, yours is great. So it's just this like side-by-side comparison uh-huh. where people go like, how could you play the Kemper? You know, it's like, how could you not at this yeah, point? Yeah. Like, I don't want to deal with all that. Yeah. Like, I just want to play and like show up and have him be like, thumbs up. Yeah. 
There we go. And that's, I think up. that's what we're hearing from Stu is like, you know, front of house guys, happy as can be, you know? I can honestly tell you, now I haven't played a ton of places in the past two years. I've played my church mostly. Mm-hmm. I've played a couple other places. I've played a couple different churches. I've played uh, like two outside of church things. Mm-hmm. I haven't once had a sound guy since then tell me to do anything to the EQ. And not until you just said that did I realize that that used to be a common occurrence. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I haven't had anybody even say that to me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't Now Maybe it's because they're just handling it on their end. Right. But I'll, I'll tell you something that's interesting now. I um, The other day we were talking. My church is building another church, right? They're building a bigger building. And we were talking about Kempers and this guy who's going to play, I guess, this week, a uh, new guy to the team. He, um, he, he, he came and, uh, he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm playing first time next week. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh yeah, great. You know, and I've met him before and he was at like some, you know, worship team events and stuff. So we had all met him and nice guy. He was like, okay, so next week, where do I put my amp? And I was like, Oh, well behind the stage, there's a room there. And he was like, okay. And I was like, I guess there's a mic is there, hey, hey, so-and-so sound guy, is there a mic backstage? He's like, uh, I'll make sure there is one. And then it hit me. I was like, two years ago, I showed up here and there were two amps back there with mics set up. Mm-hmm. And then I started bringing my Kemper and I used to have to go unplug the XLR and and right, yeah. from the stage yeah. and, and bypass a direct box. And now that I've converted everyone at my church to Kempers, right. literally all the players have Kempers, all the producers who, who yeah. go there have Kempers. We don't even know where the mics are for the amps. It's the amp that's the The amp now. guy who's yeah. coming is like, what? how do I hook this amp up? And everyone's like, uh, I guess we have to run an XLR to that amp room. Right. What year is this? <laughs> where, and then you go in there and there's like, clearly they built boxes yeah. for the amps yeah. that haven't been used. <laughs> the whole thing is very intriguing to me, you know. And I, I know you've done a lot of talking about... Um, you know, it's not just in, I mean, you just did about the Volante. It's not just an amp sounds that this is happening where, where digital is starting to, you know, not just compete with analog, but mm-hmm. actually surpass it yeah. in ways that, um, you know, it's, we always want analog to be matched by digital, but now that, you know, that conversation is now becoming like, what if it wasn't just matched? Yeah. Like, what if it's better? Would you allow, like, in your brain for it to be even better? You I know, drove it. Like, I, I went and drove the Model 3 today. I told you about this. Yeah. I drove the Model 3. I got on the freeway and gunned it. Fastest car I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no changing gears. There's no nothing. The <laughs> guy no warned resistance. me before I got in. He said, listen, <laughs> you have you ever driven one of these? I said, no. He said, okay, just listen. It just goes. It takes off. There's no waiting. It just goes. Zero to sixty, it just accelerates. Yeah, I go. Yeah, I go. Okay, okay. He's like, no, no. If you, he's like, we. If you've only driven an internal combustion engine car, you yeah. don't know what it feels like to just accelerate, right? Because that's not how a car accelerates, mm-hmm. right? How many times has he had that conversation? Right, right. I was like, no, I'm good. Like, but that's but- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's doing something better. Yeah. Whether you like it or not is really more a function of what you're used to. Mm-hmm. I, the other thing they have in the car is I was telling you about the creep control. Because I, right. t- I told the guy, the guy was like, now, now listen, the, 
creep is on. I said, what's that mean? He said, you know how in an internal combustion engine car, when you take your foot off the gas and off the brake, your car will just roll forward. It'll creep forward because the engine can't stop. Mm-hmm. So it's sending, so it's pushing, right? He's like, so you'll, you'll coast forward. He was like, in this car, you won't coast. So you can turn creep on and the car will coast a little bit for you. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you're back in an internal combustion yeah. engine car. For and your he's like, benefit. And he's like, just know that yeah. because people like it. So you don't roll back, you know, backwards downhill or mm-hmm. whatever. But I thought one of these, it's, it's, we're, it's a better technology, right? When mm-hmm. you don't press the gas, you know what happens? You don't go you don't forward. Accelerate. There you go. Yeah. You don't go forward. That's how it should run, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's how it should be, yeah. right? And this Tesla does that. A, nor- a normal car doesn't do that. An internal combustion engine car doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. An internal combustion engine car can't accelerate the way the Tesla accelerates, and it can't be as fast. My buddy has a Mustang that he's super proud of. He souped it up and everything. I told him I'm going to go drive the Model Three. He's like, the Model Three is faster than my car. And I was like, really? And it's like a bright red thing. He's like, yeah. yeah. He's like, it's faster than this car, this car, this car, this car. Naming all these cars. I believe it's under four seconds. It's like three and a half seconds, yeah. zero to uh-huh. 60. I mean, it's fast. Yeah. And then in ludicrous mode, now the, the Model 3 <laughs> doesn't have ludicrous mode, but if you buy a Model X or S mm-hmm. and you have ludicrous mode, you pay, I don't know, whatever the money is for ludicrous mode. It's like $20,000 on the Model X for ludicrous mode. Lands. It makes it as fast as like a Lamborghini. Wow. I, the amount of car, I think I heard someone say it was something like there's five or, or something cars in the world that are faster than a Tesla Model X with ludicrous mode. Like five cars in the world. Sure, yeah. You know what I mean? Like these are some Lamborghini, but not all Lamborghini, some Ferrari, right. some like, yeah, like the fastest cars yeah. that we've ever made. And it's a minivan. I mean, it's not a minivan, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to be like their answer to a family vehicle. Right, right. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All that to say, it, it's there's so many times technology improves stuff, but because we're not used to it, mm-hmm. we don't see it as an improvement. Mm-hmm. And the people who see it as an improvement are the people who were never conditioned by the first thing that wasn't as good. Right. Right? Yeah. I've talked about on this podcast all the futuristic stuff coming. I don't know if you listened to the last one. You said you had started it. <laughs> the our parents like didn't want to get in cars with strangers because you sure. could get killed. Right. Even though statistically you weren't going to get killed, nobody was getting killed. Yeah. People hitchhiked and blah blah blah. It wasn't until, but now like we didn't have that experience of like why would you ever get in a car with strangers? We had a different experience of, um, no, there's a there's a rating system, like just send a stranger so I can get in their car and they'll drive me around. Mm -hmm. Like, so to us, that's normal. Mm -hmm. So like, we're not going to avoid strangers in the car. Like to us though, it's crazy that a stranger would come in your house, Mm -hmm. right? When you're not home. But my kids will let some sort of a robot or drone or person come in their house and restock their refrigerator and put their stuff inside rather than leaving it like animals in front of the doorway to get stolen, right? This is like the dumb thing that we can't get past. Like we're delivering it all the way from across the world to your front door. We're acting like this is a a barrier we can't cross. Let me just get inside. (laughs) Let me help you out here, right? Right. And there's all sorts of ways to do that safely. We are never going to adapt to that Mm -hmm. because that's too much for us. But the people after us will. Sure. There's a time coming when the idea that digital is not as good as analog in the guitar tone world will not even be 
a populist mm-hmm. opinion, mm-hmm. and then it really won't even be an opinion. And it and tube amps will be like they will be the vinyl records of today. Mm-hmm. We all know it sounds better, right? But who's going to go through all that? It's just not important enough, mm-hmm. you know. Vinyl sounds great. You could rig up, you can get Macintosh big tube power amps and these great speakers, and you could, oh, it'll sound like you're there. Yeah, but I'm just going to stream it on Apple Music. Right. I've got, <laughs> because, I've got Spotify because, on my phone. So. Because, like, the world has spoken. Like, the world has spoken. Yeah. Ease of use, like, convenience is more important to ev- all of us mm-hmm. than ever before. We all are prioritizing that. When we like stand there with an Uber and we hit the button and five cabs go by us, like it's proof that like, even if it's not faster, it'd be faster to get in a cab and go, right? right It's just, but this is what we value. We value the ease of use, the time, right? It's, it, digital will win because it's easier. Mm -hmm. Tubes don't blow up. You don't have to, you don't have to play someone else's rig because you because it's difficult to travel with a rig, mm-hmm. you know, you could ju- you could have just brought your USB stick. Yeah, it could sure. literally be on your keychain. Sure, you could have sent him the files <laughs> if he had a Kemper, uh-huh. or you could bring the Kemper even. Yeah, or you could bring your HX Stomp. Yeah, how you been liking that lately? The Stomp. So here, okay, so here's where I'm at on the amps, and I think you you might have said this recently. I. I think that I've I've played amps on the Stomp that sound as good as the amps on the Kemper, mm-hmm. but the amount of amps that fit that description are like three. You know, and I one hundred percent agree with you. So it's like I got to get lucky, but if I get lucky, it's like I like this. You know, and so compare that to the you know the Kemper. Like lately, I've been doing a lot of these. Like I post my top thirty you know, rigs for a certain guitar. Like that's my style right now is I pick, you know, profiles per guitar. You know, I just like doing that. I think that's certainly, that's what I would do with amps if I had all the amps. Sure, yeah. What amp prefers that guitar and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I, I can't, I can't get it lower than 60 profiles. And I'm like, mm-hmm. every one of these I would play with for the rest of my life. You just like, put out a list of 60 profiles. That you, was it 60? <laughs> it was 30, 30, you know, 30. 30 profiles. But and before that, you were doing 15, It took me 20, two yeah. days to pare that down because I'm sitting there going like, man, I'm happy with every one of these things from Sailor Sounds to Tone Junkie to mm-hmm. you know, Brian Carl and yeah. Michael Britt. They all sound incredible. How do I decide? It's literally the exact opposite. When I go through the stomp, I'm like, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good. I don't like that at all. Oh, that's good. What is that? Oh, it's the matchless channel too. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then I and I keep going, I go, Well, I better go back to the matchless. So that's that's a bummer for me, you know, is to be kind of locked into like I like this, but I don't like these other thirty. I like this other one. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. So having said that so I've got mine um, on my board, and I pared down. I used to have a you know a PT2. So now I'm on a junior, and I just have my MS3 and the Benson preamp, the Stomp, Volante, and Ventress. Like that's the whole board. Okay. You know, so it's basically one overdrive, one delay, one verb. Wait, how many pedals are digital, and how many are analog on that board you just described? Four are digital, and two are and analog. And one is analog. One is analog. Yeah. I mean, they're all supercomputers right. with a Benson preamp. Right, right, <laughs> like right. Like sitting right next to all them. Did you say the Timmy's on there? No. 
No, just about the brake. Yeah, and you know the MS3 and the um, the Stomp are multi effects, yeah. and then Ventress and Volante. Yeah, you know. And I just want to say mm-hmm. one thing: like, it, it'd be easy to listen to this conversation and just be like, if this were taken out of context, and be like, whatever, those guys are. Well, like, what does that prove? They have a bunch of digital stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. prove that their stuff sounds good. We have one of the consistently best sounding YouTube channels on the internet. Mm. I, I firmly 100% believe that. Mm-hmm. Like, go search the Tone Junkie YouTube channel for bad tone. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. Like, I, I don't I, I, I sure, maybe that sounds arrogant or something, mm-hmm. but I really do believe, like, the sound we get to the listener. Is oh, consistently yeah. great. Mm-hmm. The profiles are great, but it speaks volume about the Kemper and like it's consistently great getting to the user. It oh, yeah. sounds like a professional setup because we make these profiles using preamps and mics and oh, everything yeah. that you would use to record guitars for a record. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a 57 or just a nine. I mean, which can sound fine. A 906 can sound fine. Like mm-hmm. the pedal show guys use 906s on all their stuff. I yeah. believe it sounds great. Mm-hmm. I, I, we've talked about this. If I'd have one mic on my amp, I'd probably choose a 906 every mm-hmm. time. 906. I've lately been liking the seven B on one of the IRs I made. If it's just by That'll itself. Yeah. But I'll take a fathead and a 57 or a mm-hmm. Royer and a, fat, a 57, a 906 mm-hmm. and a, some ribbon, you know, kind of yeah. any day of the week. It's easy to not even fool with it. I wouldn't set up a mic. Listen, how many... I'm trying to think how many mic. There's 10 microphones mm-hmm. sitting on top of an amp mm-hmm. in, in my other room there. There's a whole room to keep them quiet in this other room. Like I right. built a room in a room. Yeah. There's... The cords are all run, like everything. Well, they're just running on the floor right now, but... You know, there's there's preamps, like the amount of knobs in that room you were telling me one day. Mm-hmm. You're like, the amount of knobs is pretty crazy. There's no way I would want to set up the full thing every time to do a video. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But like, I don't feel like I'm sacrificing. We, we ever really sacrifice sound quality. Yeah. Because the Kemper's so easy to plug in. Yeah. In the last year I've had, on that note, I've had this experience too, where I've walked in, I've, I've, you know, have had the privilege of playing on different, you know, recordings and and releases and stuff recently and, um, walking into studios and I always bring the Kemper and I've had this, this changeover now where like when I first would do that, I had a couple engineers look at me like, okay, like we'll, we'll use that if we get stuck, but like, we'll definitely start with like amps and mics. I was like, great. You know, Mm -hmm. so like to plug into their stuff. You know, but slowly, like, I would use the Kemper on one track and then two and then all of a sudden. So this last one I did, it's 15 songs, mm-hmm. all Kemper. Mm-hmm. And then I did another one that was four songs, all Kemper. None of those projects had any real amps at all on them from me. And I'm sitting there listening back to the mixes going, I can't sound better than that. Like if yeah. I if I had an amp yeah. and a and a, um, and a mic and all that and all You'd the, the fight pedal to board, get that sound. I would be happy to get that sound. Yeah, I I right. wouldn't be able to surpass it in any way, you know. Right. And I think the only difference would be that I played better uh-huh. or wrote better parts. Yeah, you know. And so I I'm at the point now where the gear is not holding me back in any right. way. It's just delivering the tones I bring, you know, to the, right. the project, you know, which, which is so freeing when you talk about all the cabling and all the stuff that it takes to, to do all that. I, I'm there with one unit, you know? And so anyway, so with a stomp, 
I, I've got it situated. I, I figured out a, a way to use that on its own. And, uh, and you helped me think about this and with a Kemper and, and the way I've done that is to place it in between my drives on the right and my delay and reverb on the left, you know? And so, cause you brought up a great point I never thought of, but the Kemper is, is, is placing its delays and reverbs after the amp anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you said, why don't just run the stomp and instead of trying to get everything in that and send that to front of house, just send that into your delay and reverb pedals and then just go out of those right. front of house, you know? Right. And as soon as I did that, it placed the stomp right at the center of my board, which is exactly where I would want it to be running into the Kemper. Right. You know, because now it can do modulation, it can do drive, it can do delay, and it's right in that in-between spot right. where it's right where I'd want to drive to be. It's right before where I'd want, you know like a tremolo or like a chorus or something it's right there yeah and so i've actually now i've used it on a couple weekends where it's been my all-in-one don't even have the kemper it's you know packed away that's what's great about the stomp you can just have one sort of preset that's like for use with an amp or with the kemper yeah as just an effects unit and then you can have another preset where it's like i still could use my full pedal board but now my amp tones are coming out of here right basically I, i get more effects if I uh, use the Kemper, you know, and so I've got uh, a patch called as pedal board and I just turn that on if I'm going to use it like a pedal board and it's basically a, um, you know, the HX effects, you know, so I've got six effects. I can use three of the buttons and there you go, you know? And so that, that, that's been very cool. Like the times I've used that with the Kemper, um, I think I've got tremolo chorus and then a reverb. And so like now I'm, I'm using the Ventress. It sounds great. I've got whatever dialed in on there. But then I can hit that, you know, um, whatever, the, the stomp verb, and just adds into my signal. It's before my uh, volante, which right. kind of gives the, the reverb delay reverb sounds, kind of yeah, real yeah, washy. Yeah. And then when I want it off, I just flip it off, and I'm back to where I was. I don't have to pr- program a bunch of stuff and make sure every patch is like that. It's just whenever I want it, it's there. So right. it's I used to run an M9. I know you had one. Or still do, maybe. I still do. Yeah. It's still on the shelf up there. It's a great pedal. Yeah. And so I can run it like an M9 on my board or an H9 or something like that. Or I can leave the Kemper at home and just go out of my Ventress into front of house. And it's like on the that matchless setting, I think we had some IRs on there or whatever. Like, I'm happy to claim. Like, it sounds yeah. great, you yeah. know? So, and it's, that's the beauty of having a board like that is that um, either way I go f- direct it's just different, you know, but right. it sounds good. Yeah. We're going to put out some of those matchless uh, channel too, some of the other stuff. Yeah. For the, for the stomp and the helix. Man, and those, I mean, hesitate to plug our stuff so hard, but like those IRs are good. They really are. I just got a, um, a message from somebody I really respect today, mm. uh, kind of on, and on, uh, well, he's, 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 he's on, he, he dabbles in a lot of worlds, I think. Okay. But, um, saying i'm really impressed with these irs yeah and i was like great dan lombardi sent me a message he was like how did you just how did you what do you say it made my night he was like how did you just like decide to make an ir and you make like some of the best ones i've tried yet i'm like i i don't know all i did was right mic it up the way i mic up the profiles i don't know i think the I don't know if there's anything really special about the Tone Junkie IRs. They're just straightforward, and I think they sound how they yeah. 
how those mics sound yeah. rather, rather than there being a thousand variants. That was my thing with the own hammer stuff, you know, and some of the, like the Rosen mm-hmm. Rosen. Um, I tried a couple of the Celestian ones, you know, um, the Celestian ones are like caricatures of what those things yeah, sound Yeah, they're like. a bit exaggerated, like in those directions. Um, yeah, it was not overwhelming to, to open the files. Like when you sent me the IRs and I just turned them on, it yeah. was like, well, that sounds good. That sounds good. You know, I felt yeah. a, a little bit and with the own hammer stuff, like with there being like a hundred versions of like one cap. Yeah. Trying to weed through, like, it, what do I put in do there? You, it's option paralysis. Yeah. You can't give someone that many choices. Right. It's not. There's more options than the Taco Bell menu. You know? Like. Are you a Taco Bell guy? Sure. What's your, like, your poison there? Man, when I was young, I used to do the Mexi Melt a lot. Dude. I mean, the Mexi Melt it's is a, a classic. Call. A lot it's of people, small. Small. A lot of people don't know about it, but yeah. if you are ever getting a soft taco at. Taco Bell. Just try subbing one of them out for yeah, them. Yeah, you're a peasant. Kings are eating Mexi melts. <laughs> I mean, you've got to update. You're right on the money. You've got to update yeah. to the three cheese Mexi melt. Right. There's it's, three types of cheese in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got just, you'll change. It'll change. It's almost Taco Bell close. I know. We're going to go after this. What? <laughs> no, no, but um, we should do a post podcast from the car just with a. So that would be really good. Let's do that, actually. We'll do a post-Taco Bell podcast, just driving over the there. Mexi Melt. We'll just do it on the phone. Okay. We'll just do a little podcast. We'll just do a little Taco Bell review. We should go get our favorites, talk about it, and then go get something new as well. And just tack it on to the end of this thing. No, we'll just do a completely like separate a whole episode. Another. Just an audio-only episode. <laughs> right. That There you go. That'll drive that's the... That's necessary. That's necessary. Sure. You got to have those. Wow. Mexi Melt. I got into quesadillas for a while. Yeah. But I, I kind of at first was like quesadilla without that sauce they put on. Then okay. I grew up, got into the sauce. Um, Is that like the, the pink kind of like yeah. um, creamy like kind of thing? Yeah. And then um, yeah. the quesarito, the sriracha quesarito oh, okay. was so delicious. And now they got rid of it. Mm-hmm. It's just the quesarito. But, I'd say, but an all-time favorite of mine has been the beefy five-layer burrito. Really? It's... It was eighty nine cents. I uh-huh. think it's up to a dollar nine now. I really don't go to Taco Bell much anymore because, sure. you know, they don't really have any keto options. If you had to eat there, like fully abiding with keto, what would you get? Uh, like a taco bowl or like a salad. They have like taco salads okay. where they put all the stuff. Is cheese a like a no go? A cheese is okay on keto. Okay. Um, most paleo people don't eat dairy, and a lot of people don't eat dairy, and probably dairy's not. But like beans and rice and chicken and lettuce. Like are these all... The beans and rice are carbs, so we'd stay away from that a bit. But that's why taco salad, you could just get it. It might have beans on it, but it's going to have meat, cheese, kind of like salsa, sour cream, lettuce. Lots of lettuce, salsa, and chicken. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or beef, you know, any any meat. Crunchwrap Supreme. That's all I'm going to say. I heard someone say, um, does anyone have... A substitute for like meaningful relationships and like <laughs> life fulfillment. Go and on. the number one comment was, "Have you fr- have you tried the Crunchwrap Supreme?" Dude, that, from that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, this is like Did the I number one. <laughs> this is like the number one comment on a YouTube channel or I don't know sure. a tweet or something, and yeah. it was you know tens of thousands of. They're likes very good. <laughs> 
Throw some sauce in there. The Crunchwrap. Do you remember when they started doing the waffle taco? Oh, yeah. Do they still have that? No. I I, I think that was on the rotating. Like, recently now, they've got the steak, french fries, and jalapeno burrito. It's like, like a California rat, like style. A, it's like a rattlesnake, I think they call it, because it's so hot. Is but it's, a, it's like a California style burrito with the french fries inside? It's got the inside. french fries in there, man, and it's... Really? I just, I love that. Yeah. Like the hot, like spicy, like steak. How good, like, does any fast food joint have as good desserts as Taco Bell? Oh, yeah, I think they do. I don't, I'm not really a dessert guy at Taco Bell. Those those crispy cinnamon twists? When I was like eight. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm open to anything. Like, I'll, you know. <laughs> I, I, those are delicious. Also, I'm a big fan of the caramel apple empanada. Never had? Delicious. Think. I'm just what, like So a, who has better desserts? A Sonic. Okay, well, Sonic is Oreo, Sonic. Oreo, peanut is a di- butter, no, 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 no. But that's, those are shakes. That's not like dessert. dessert. That's a different How discipline. How is different categories? Well, that's like, because... That's more like when Sonic goes that far into drinks, which I get, that's almost like you're getting into ice cream. That's like Baskin Robbins, like a different, that's not fast food stuff. But that doesn't belong in a conversation about dessert? Burger places can have milkshakes. Yes, of course. I'm saying Sonic. Yes, of course. That stuff's better. Okay, like Sonic so you're, is doing. You're with me. Yes, this. but that, I'm not. I'm, I guess I'm not even. Sonic is fast food, but I was considering more like Burger King, McDonald's. Okay, the Jack McDonald's the Sunday is also delicious. That, yeah, that is delicious. It's got the caramel, the nuts that you pour on top. And okay, it's like a dollar. Yeah, I'm about ready to retract my statements on Taco Bell dessert better, I mean, being better than other things. Are fine. But hang on, I, let me just say it is. I really enjoy their dessert. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, back in. You're yeah. back in. All right. Well, think outside I, I the bun. De- I love dessert. Yeah, me too, man. Have you tried that new Ruby Sunshine place in Franklin in the Square? Uh-uh. It's like New Orleans inspired breakfast and brunch. The coffee's good. It's not Cafe Du Monde good, like, you know, that famous mm-hmm. coffee they have. And there's no, um, you know, there's no chicory in the coffee, which is a Louisiana thing. But the breakfast stuff, like if you get their cinnamon, like I got their cinnamon French toast, uh, what do they call it? Batons. This is like a keto, like cheat day. This is a cheat keto yeah, cheat day. Cinnamon French toast batons. Okay. So it was like this thick brioche bread sliced in the shape of like what would only be described as like a giant Lincoln log covered in sugar and everything. Then they stacked it like a Lincoln log cat log So they're cabin. working with the Lincoln log thing. Okay. It was so sweet I couldn't eat it. You added syrup to that and it was, oh, it was like, like it was, each bite was like diabetes on a fork. Do you remember when you went to Andy's after my house that one night for dinner and yeah. like you couldn't I threw even it like away. it? <laughs> I threw it away. That's what happens, man. When you go see, so for the last yeah. for the last four weeks, I've I've been doing pretty much low to no carb, but it's been low. Like I've been having some sugar. Mm-hmm. Every three or four days or so I'll have something with some sugar. Mm-hmm. And I'm offsetting that by not eating as much fat on the keto thing. So I'm almost have transformed into some like sort of a, some sort of a paleo, like really like a paleo thing Mm -hmm. where it's not fat heavy. It's just no carb. But, um, 
And it's not working. I really have not lost any more weight. Which is why I need to get serious. Right, it turns okay. out you can't cheat on a diet and expect that still to work. Right, right. So, um, I'm just starting eating whatever I want. <laughs> uh, wow. But, um, but yeah. So, uh, but yeah. I, when I when I had tried that Andy's frozen custard, uh, which is a St. Louis thing, apparently, mm. um, I had not had. I don't think I'd had any real sugar. I mean, maybe I licked a popsicle. I mean, I don't know. You know, nothing had been, yeah. you know. I don't think I had any real sugar in probably over 10 weeks, 12 weeks maybe. I mean, it was getting on a solid. Yeah, yeah. The disparity between no sugar at all and, and that. And that. Was too big. It ta- I had to throw it away. Sure. Oh, it was so bad. Like, it didn't even taste good probably. I, I mean, think too, like, what hurt me was knowing that this was something that I loved. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, and had like, I would liken it to like, imagine like you grow up and move away. And when you come back, you get back together with all your friends and you don't have anything in common anymore. They're just terrible. And you realize, well, that's not even their fault. Yeah. They just are what they are. Man. Right. But you just realize like you've grown apart. And like what you had, you had. You'll never have it but again. But it's over now. Yeah. yeah. Although once I kept eating some sugar, I could probably eat Andy's now. But um, that'll but be I, my goal. But I'm to, back on a no sugar thing. Okay. But we I'm, have to do this. Taco I'm going to work thing you now. back up to that level where we could get in <laughs> yeah. together. We have to do this Taco Bell thing though. Now, I'm down, man. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say yeah. you have to get home. So I have an excuse. Oh no no no. Uh-uh. Um, there's a couple other things I think that we could just mention. Go ahead, please, um, please, yeah. I, I don't even know how long we've been going. Oh, but, I'm not even worried about that. Um, some of these podcasts have been pretty epic in length. Absolutely. you can. Um, I can always make a part one and two. I mean, I won't, but I could. That's true. I know that you don't edit, which is awesome. I hate like, it. I, <laughs> have I ever left stuff in that I said, I'm going to edit that out? No, I always hear you say it. I, I, there was a great one with Stu. He's like, you'll edit that out. You're like, no, nah, I'm not. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Mike, listen, I, I, I got stuff to do, okay? I'm not going to go listen to this tomorrow morning, <laughs> right. edit it out and stuff. Uh-huh. Come on. Uh, okay, so one thing is, um, uh, there's just been this weird, weird thing. Actually, I just thought of the third thing. I'll blaze through these. Take so, your time. The, so one of the things was one of my friends, so I sold some, some gear, mm-hmm. um, we'll try to tie these together. I sold some gear when we were saving up for a house, you know, for down payment and everything. Yeah. So I sold my matchless 3015, which yeah. we profiled. Yeah. I love that amp, played it for 10 years. Like that was like my sound. I'll never sell this amp. There it goes, you know, sold. And then the Nocaster, like Custom Shop, Telly, uh-huh. loved that thing, moved out here. It was like my number one. Like I played it in that band from California and everything. Like bury me with this guitar. Like I love this thing. Yeah. Sold that. Right. You know, so like all of these things. So like a lot of my friends back in California, like, what are you doing? Like you, these like two this things you. were you. And like, this is you. Now you play like, you know, a Sir and like and a, a Kemper. Like what happens? Who you? are you, Sue? And I was like, HW happens. <laughs> Uh, you know, and so when I was posting those videos of <laughs> Stu, gee, I yeah. was thinking, man, I guess I really do rub off on people. This guy's got a sir. He's got the white sir. Yes. Right. People come I in contact with you. I got to get some floral on him. Hey, but for the sake of this podcast, who got you on the Kemper? <laughs> uh, for the sake of the podcast. So you can take credit for getting me on okay, the Kemper. I do kind of give, you had been telling me about the Kemper and I didn't care. Okay, like I brought mine over. You're like, great, you know. I don't even know if you had brought it. 
Did we play it on one of those nights? You did. It's possible you brought it over one night and we didn't even play you it. You were really the first into time. the amps, I think, at that point. I was really into the amps. Yeah. Uh-huh. My moment was playing with that guy. I think you had shown it to me, and okay. I was like, that's, oh, yeah, that's cool. But then the moment where I was like, whoa. Like in a live setting. Yeah, because we didn't have an FRFR here or something. Right. So I don't even yeah. know that we tried it or how we, what we huh. did. What did we do? I think you told that. me about it. You told me about Mark. You told me about the Chieftain that's yeah, in yeah. the stock profile. Yes, okay. But, you know, I was probably like, oh, yeah, check out this. Check out this, this <laughs> right. compressor. That's man. awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just love the fact that, like, you know. It was under my nose. You're just like the Kemper guy now. <laughs> but, like, I was there first. I just love that. Right, right. I put it's, it in my, my pocket. It's you know? true. It's true. Um, okay, so I did this thing, you know, where I sold the amp and I sold the guitar and everything like that. And so I just had a conversation with my my buddy, and he's like, do you miss the no-caster? And this is the first point. Lately, I bought a... I was out on a gig in Florida, and I impulse bought a Squire Tele, like a Squire Bullet Tele. It cost me $135. Right, yeah. Right, which is like less than... Like, like a Timmy. Mm-hmm. And the other day I played, that was the guitar I played, you know, to get the, these are my top 30 profiles with the sound or whatever. I played it for over an hour straight and like right. went through all this stuff. I put it down and I was like, I'm pretty sure at this point I like that Squire Telly as much as my $2,000 Nocaster. <laughs> and it bewildered even me, uh-huh. you know, and I think like. Thinking about why, I think at this point, like, I've made this shift over to, like, playability. And that was my big thing. And I think you even mentioned it to me, and I know John did, is the no-caster didn't play great. Mm-hmm. It was seven and a quarter radius. It was mm-hmm. I couldn't really play. I'm a lead player a lot of the times. Uh, it, it was a little tough to play. The neck was, I, I'd like a big neck, but now that I've got this little squire thing, I'm like, man... I play better on it. I feel better on it. It's super comfortable. Pickups sound great. It, 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 I made the shift over to like how a guitar makes me feel in response to how I play mm-hmm. versus I like the look of it or the sound of it or like all these other things. Like my experience playing it is is as good. It may even be better right. on the whole, especially if I put new pickups in there or whatever. Like sure. now it becomes something that like I would be proud to play that anywhere because it's like you know it doesn't have anything to do with the price as much as it is like i'm bonding with that guitar totally but i let go of a guitar that i played for a long long time thinking i would never sell it you know so i'm in this weird spot you know and the other thing was about the matchless like they said you missed playing the matchless and my first my first thought was like i miss sitting what i used to do sometimes i would just go onto our worship center stage and I would just like empty auditorium yeah. and I would just sit in a chair and crank the amp and just play. What a beautiful way to use an amplifier. It was just blasting at me like super loud and like hit some effects and just like, you know, do my thing or whatever. I was like, I miss that. Yeah. But I don't miss playing with one or like practicing with one or trying to like make it work in a little room. Like there's so many things I don't miss about it, but that one thing, like I do miss about it, you know? And so like, that was an interesting thought process for me too, is like to say like, you know, certain experiences with an amp were great, but my normal use case is recording and playing live. And it didn't hit either one of those boxes for me, you know? So 
I'm just in this weird spot. I'm thinking of, now. I'm thinking about buying a. Uh, I've played your the Jam, Blue yeah. Jam Pro so much, and I always want to borrow it. And like, I and now I'm thinking like, okay, I, I might need to let some stuff go to like to get myself a Jam Pro because yeah. I. I, I I listen back to demos. I'm like, man, that thing sounds good. Like a lot of comments about like, what is this guitar? It's incredible. And I've got that white sir, which I got from you, which mm-hmm. is incredible. It's got the the Thornbuckers, the, the Telly, the Telly, yeah. yeah. Um, and which gets a ton of comments. We I get a yeah. there's consistently comments whenever we do demos mm-hmm. with that guitar. What is that guitar? Yeah. Where did you get that? What model, sir, is that? Mm-hmm. It's like, that's a Suze model. Yeah, basically, <laughs> which is actually, without even trying to, like, it's like a signature, uh-huh. like, that's what I wanted, was the Telecaster with the Thornbuckers with mm-hmm. the the trim, you know? And it's it's awesome. I mean, to me... It came me, right to you. It, right there. It really you know? did, yeah. Uh, and, and that was the big deciding factor in selling the Nocaster, was I've got these two high-end guitars. I can only keep one for the time yeah. being, and so... I play. I love playing the Sir. I never reach for the No Caster. Easy decision, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, but now I'm thinking of adding another Sir, like next to the, you know, to have the White Tally and the and the JM Pro, you know. So it's kind of like these opposite things are happening, where it's like I the Squire is really doing it for me, which was you know, one twentieth of the, you know, yeah. of the cost, yeah. you know? And so like I, I mentioned it to John too. And, and he was saying, don't you think there's like a $300 version of a JM pro that you could get that, you know, that would be like similar to the Squire versus no caster. Like why are you looking at a, you know, $2,000 JM pro? Yeah. You know, part of my thinking is I don't think you have to spend a lot on a telecaster. It's such a simple design. Right. Like, you know, all the stuff, I think there's a little bit of finesse with, the JM thing with getting the trim right and getting like the, those pickups, like the S90 pickups versus what's in most jazz masters, right. very different, you know? Right. And I don't have a P90 guitar. I don't know if you know that, but I don't have a single one out of the 10 or so that are in my wow, possession. Wow, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm thinking about it right now. I was about to say you have that Tele, but th- those are Filtertrons in there. Got a that lot of Filtertrons, a lot of single coils, uh-huh. humbuckers, got a couple humbucker guitars. Yeah. But you and Michael Britt, P90 is the best pickup P90. ever. I don't I don't have one. So they I'm, really I, are. I think I'm talking myself into it. And I'll say this about the Sirs. Um, they don't have the most vintage-y sound, mm-hmm. you know, but Michael Britt has replaced the magnets in his, and to me, then it sounds a little more vintage-y, mm. which is always an option for people. He... He doesn't know. He put in a three magnets or a twos. Okay. He doesn't know what what that. what he took out because yeah. he doesn't know what the ones are he took out. Have you heard that guitar? Yeah, it sounded like my JM Pro with like a little more vintagey top end, hmm. a little more like stratty high end. Okay. I would consider changing mine. His is a strat. It's, it's a small. No, his is a JM Pro. Oh, oh. His JM the... Pro is what I mean. Yeah, he, oh, he took the magnets okay. out, changed the magnets on the. On, on those pickups. Huh. It's not a big difference. Yeah. There you, go. Y- you know, it's not a big difference at all. And mm-hmm. I love my Jam Pro, so I've never considered really changing it. There's a local one for a good price in the gold. You need to get what it. What the 510? I think I'm going to... You have to get it. Figure out a way. And then we're going to roast the neck. <laughs> I'm going to get a blowtorch, <laughs> and we're going to roast the neck. Man, can we do it on one of yours? <laughs> <laughs> do you have like eight of them? To try it out? Yeah. I only have two. People always think I have a t- You know, people think I have a ton of Sir guitars. Do you know well, how many I own right now? Uh, hold on. Three. 
I own three and Erasmus, which was their, their short-lived input, input. No, man, I had that on some videos. That was sounding pretty good. I watched them. Was it good? How much do you think I paid for that guitar? $800. $600. Really? That's why I don't want to sell it. Is it a Sir guitar? It was made by, if you look at the bag, it says made in China for Sir. Okay. Or it says like to, to specification Sir. Mm-hmm. And then they took it. They brought them here. They're actually great deals. Here's why. They only did one run, I think, maybe two. They brought them from China. The wood is all made in China. The frets are put in in China. They bring it here. They put in real Sir pickups, oh. a real Goto 510. I don't know where those tuners came from, if they put them here or not, but they're not the normal tuners. But they function like the normal tuners. But you can see they're just a different manufacturer or something. Mm-hmm. They are the same shape and have the same pickups as a Sir Modern. Okay, so... They did that. Now, when they got it here, though, the reason they didn't do any more after this was they said there were too many issues with frets, with um, the necks not being straight or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what did they do? They fixed them all here. So they went back over the frets, did it all, Uh and then they said, we can't do this anymore because we're going to lose money. We're not making enough money on these guitars. We have to do too much work once they hit the States. So that means all the Rasmus is floating around. Our Chinese wood made in China, brought here, Fixed in and America. then some guy in, in the surf factory, <laughs> yeah, when he's putting on all the hardware, they had to fix all the frets. So I say if you find them. Now, they go for 900 to 1200 bucks all, all day long, mm. all day long. And 900 would be a good deal. So you stole that one. Mine had a bunch of damage on the front because oh, okay. it was like dented on the front and the, the lacquer started chipping off. Mm-hmm. I don't care. And, and they're hard to find. Like... Once I bought that, I didn't see one on Reverb for two, three months. Mm. There might be one right now. But what Sir came out with after that was the um, those satin moderns. They have a strat, te- they have a telly and a strat. They're moderns like that, but it's just like a satin finish on a guitar, so no finish. Hmm. So what they've decided is, well, instead of getting it all finished and stuff in China, we'll have we want a, a, a lower priced model that's sort of not the vintagey thing, and so it's just like. You know, uh, you know, exposed wood. Mm-hmm. You know, unfinished kind yeah. of satin wood, and those are cool, but they look super plain. Okay, but they just make the wood, no finishing, so it cuts down on labor there. And then they're still doing the American setup and everything on them, which those are killer guitar too. If you just want a bang for your buck, sir, mm-hmm. one of those satin, all satin, modern tellies or strats. You know, it's a little, it's more on the modern side, of course. Right. Uh-huh. But in terms of setup, it's made in the same, same place, same build sheet, yeah. same everything. They're just not finishing the bodies. Huh. Would you uh, call that the best deal in the guitar verse? I'm not that into them because I'm not that into the pickups. Okay. They're pretty specific pickups, yeah. meaning you get an SSV in the neck and then an SSH in the bridge. Okay. At that point, you're pretty rocking. You know, for, yeah, for yeah. our purposes, two SSVs is already pretty rocking even more modern and like aggressive or like yeah mod, yeah know. these are really mo- yeah 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 i mean they're taking that as putting in the neck that's supposed to be like the vintagey sounds in it okay you know so they're, they're it's a different guitar completely hmm. or a different sound what was the other things you're gonna bring up i did the squire i did the the matchless yeah. um so oh, you're gonna end, jm pro you're gonna end up with 
one of the sweetest Sir Tellies with double thornbuckers and a trim. We're only aware of one. I've never that seen any one. others. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of Sir guitars. I don't believe there's a Sir guitar that's been up on reverb in the last 24 months that I haven't looked at thoroughly. Well, yeah. I mean, it was custom ordered by that shop in California. and Was it custom ordered by that? Yeah. Well, they had it. They had a build sheet that was that was for them. I mean, it had their, their name on it. Like, they ordered it like that. Why was it so cheap? Well, we didn't buy it from them. Oh, we bought it from somebody Someone else. Someone else okay, had okay, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they knew what they had. I don't think they knew what they had because they could have charged twenty four, twenty five hundred bucks, and I would have, I would have bought it still. Yeah, it was definitely a shop. Order. Wasn't it nineteen or nineteen fifty? Yeah. No brainer. <laughs> no brainer, dude. No brainer. And the neck. And on now the thing I, is awesome. this, I might. Is it a detail. roasted neck? Yeah. Stop it. Roasted. I forgot it roasted is a roasted maple thornbuckers oh. with the trim. Come you know, the on. cream with the black guard. Uh. Gosh. Oh my gosh. And so if I can score a good deal on this gold JM Pro, it's like those two what it's like what am I grabbing the most now to play at church? It's like mm-hmm. those two guitars would be like I mean kinda it what for would, a while. What else would you need? I mean, you don't need anything else. It's hard to even want anything else. Of what you've got, I mean there's still room for the sparkle jet. That does a thing. Sure. Yes. You know uh, that does a thing. That's always that would be probably there. be the, the third one for me to round it out. And like, right. if you said, "What are your top guitars right now?" It uh-huh. would be those three. And those, I don't yeah. even have the Duke yeah. You Pro. don't even have that one. But and then what about um, you know, you've got the 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 Aria. Do you have an Aria? No. The Agile. The Agile. Yeah, I like that. It's just for a less I Paul like sound. having it around for a Les Paul sound. I've yeah, used it on yeah. a couple of demos or whatever, um, but I don't like playing church with it. And then the Jazzmaster, got... okay, I, I love that classic player. Yeah. Jazzmaster, yeah, yeah, it yeah. sounds great. And then what about the Strat? Um, same as the Agile. I, lo- I love using it for tracks and like, you know, nothing will do that that strat sound mm-hmm. you know like it has to be a strat so now you're up to six guitars <laughs> well am, am i so it's the white sir the agile the strat the sparkle. jazz master well the sparkle's not really mine but it's yeah. basically come on mine. it's about how long has it been loaned to over you? a year over a year toby's not asking thank for you toby um i mean the cabernet do you think toby is listening an hour and a half into this podcast no <laughs> I don't think he's listening three minutes into this podcast. I love guitar. Uh, dude, the Cabernita, like that's a great oh, guitar as well. I forgot about that. Yeah. We get a lot of comments too when I play that. Is it, what is that? Like, how does yeah. it sound like that good? You know, it's like, that's a great guitar. It's just got Gretsch filter drones. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And it, the, the neck is real comfortable and it, it plays, it plays good. Um, Double volume. Yeah. Volume, volume. Um, and then there's the, um, the Gretsch, which I'm thinking about letting go the, um, Oh yeah. The hollow body. I support that. Yeah. That's not one I grab a lot, you know, to play. I kind of remember I was there with you when you bought it and it was, it was, it seemed impulsy. Totally. Is that a word? Oh yeah. I mean, so was the Squire. Yeah. But the Squire was how much? It was $135. $135. Yeah. The Squire is the cost. Of an overpriced dinner for two. Sure, yeah. Uh-huh. You know? I've had $130 dinner bills and been like, you know what? That really wasn't worth it. Like, I'm going to eat at Gray's for that much yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be fine. Yeah, and, and and you know. Can we use that? We need to use it in a, a, a demo coming sure. up. Sure. You know, just to kind of. 
And part of it is to show people, like, let's not judge guitars by, like, the name on the headset. You know, it's like, I think you're going to hear this guitar and be like, that sounds really good. You know, like, at the end of the day, it sounds awesome. I've got a Tone Master coming up, Fender Tone Master head. Oh, yeah. And a uh, CJ11. What did we just shoot today? Divided by CJ11. That was the Two Stone Crystal. That's not good. Or the Two Rock Crystal. But I spelled crystal like that disgusting little burger chain. Like the burger. Yeah. I've not had those. They're, I've had White Castle. Crystal Burgers was the second food in my life that I threw away and the first one that I spit out. Mid-bite, like spitting it out. Good gracious. Spit out as I drove away from the drive-thru wanting to try it. <laughs> like hungry. Like I want food. Oh, yeah. Spit it out. Ugh. Drove up just to the little garbage can next to the restaurant, threw it away, went next door to the Jack in the Box, and just ordered food there. When Jack in the Box is a step up. When Jack in the Box is a step up, step up you must be a crystal. Wow. That bad. That'll preach. That bad. The other time was at a terrible burrito place in the Nashville airport. First time I visited here, the guy said, he made me a burrito, and he said, and I quote, you want some pico de gallo with that? Coming from San Francisco, where and I we was have like, mission burritos. Yeah. I was like, I think... I'm surprised you moved here after that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> that was two years before I moved here. Wow. So that was when I came here with a band and played a little Battle of the Bands for Word Records. That was two years ago? Oh, no, that was two years before you moved. Two years before I moved here, okay. yeah. So this was but still pretty recent. Five years ago. Yeah. Maybe it was... Three years before I moved. It was years before I moved here. What was the band? It was a band called Inner Sunset. I've talked about it on this podcast and someone tracked down the music. I think I'll be doing that later at Taco Bell. I think I've showed you this. I'll show you in the car. It's on Spotify. I think Apple Music owes me $70 from the streams. Which is like a ton of money for streaming. It. it well, wait, I'm sorry. It's not Apple Music. Um, CD Baby. Owes me seventy dollars oh, oh, yeah. for yeah, CD sure. sales uh-huh. and and um, like iTunes downloads. Okay, I don't know what they owe me for streaming. Dude, they, how much Taco Bell could that buy you? Seventy dollars, a ton. <laughs> Technically, I own that to three other bandmates, but I don't think anyone's looking for that money. To be honest, you could split Taco Bell with them. Yeah, one guy's a lumberjack now in Oregon. He was the bass player. That's legit. He had these long arms. Dude looked like a gorilla for real. Bass like, player? Yeah. I knew it. Long arms. Yeah. And it was Derek. Derek. Uh, and hasn't updated his Facebook photo in like 15 years. I don't even know if I knew him for 15 years. But still the same mm. Facebook profile photo as when I met him. Hmm. And I just some weird me out weirds me out about that. Does Derek, he like actively use a, Facebook? No, but I know he goes out like every now and then. Just check in. Yeah. Can't be bothered to change my profile. Yeah. Dude. But really long arms. Freakishly long arms. Like the kind of guy who's standing up normal and then you're like, that looks like a normal guy, except that his hands, like his wrists, are down to his knees. Big hands? Yeah. Big hands, yeah, big I see arm, that. like long. I bet arms. he was a monster bass player. He had a really good. He had a power stance. There it is. He was a powerful stance. Sure. And he wore hemp shoes. Oh. And he could play a keyboard upside down. 
And the reason I know that is because in our set, he would play a keyboard upside down. Like, because like, the, like it's facing you, but I play it like that? The band started and I played bass and it was a four piece. And it was just us making challenging music because we were playing worship music on Sundays. And so it was a keyboard guy, a guy on acoustic who would sing and stuff. And is play this the electric. math rock one? Like that was like super complicated. Like I don't. Th- it wasn't so complicated, but it was pretty. It was kind of progressive. Okay. We did a little like, I did a guitar solo with a scat solo with like a scat yes. singing over. That's yeah, the yeah, one, yeah, yeah. yeah. You told it me was that. just like stuff. You know, we would use synths and stuff. But the thing was, is like we 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 really wrote these songs while making the record. So how to do them live was like impossible. Right. And in the middle of making the record, it was like I should be the guitar player. Mostly because it was like, I should play the guitar because I'm adding so many guitar parts. I shouldn't play bass. So I'm going to teach this guy my bass parts, which half the record is clearly like, what is that bass doing? (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm playing like a guitar player. You know, I'm like arpeggiating a, you know, a D major seven on the bass. We just talked about this. The best bass players don't play guitar. Yeah, yeah. They just play bass. But so then when I would show him these bass lines, he'd be like, hmm, how did you write that? And I'd be like, I'm a guitar player. I'm needlessly busy. It's actually not a bass part. Yeah, this this is just, these are just thicker strings. (laughs) These are just thicker strings. (laughs) Yeah. What Um, this song really needs now is a bass part. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so and then I was like, someone's we're gonna need me to do this these other guitar parts and to play some keyboard parts. And then the lead singer was doing keys and he also needed to play an acoustic, so we had an acoustic on a stand and he would just throw his SG behind his back. We'd like just play. walk up to it? Oh yeah, it was we'd just be a stand there with a second microphone. I love that. And he would just walk up to it and there was also a key. And then we had one song, I've got to have some footage live somewhere where our drummer, who was also a great keyboard player, yeah. would just turn his, he would move his floor tom and pull up a keyboard and then he would play hi-hat and bass drum, um, hi-hat and bass drum, and one hand on the drums and then play chords over here. And he would play a glockenspiel, like glockenspiel sounds. Oh, to go back in time and see you guys live. Dude, we, I, I'm sure I have some footage. And then towards the end of it, after we did the first little EP, we were getting ready to do the second one. And I started singing some songs and the other guy would jump onto, you know, some other. But yeah. there were some parts where, um, what would happen? Oh, our keyboard, pl- our, the drummer would, this song would like stop in the beat and it would keep going. Mm-hmm. And then the drummer would walk over to the lead singer synth and start playing the synth over this acoustic guitar and vocal part. Cause like mm-hmm. the song breaks down mm-hmm. and then it would be, he, the drummer would leave his drums and go up where the singer was and start playing the synth he had been playing. Mm-hmm. And that meant there was no drummer. And so then once that part was done, the synth part would keep going. The lead singer would walk back to the drums and just start putting, um, on the floor. Yeah. And then it would start building back up. And then the bass player would stop playing the bass and start playing this. Uh, he would start playing the, the drummer's keyboard upside, upside down. down. There it is. It was just. It, Showmanship. It, it, became, it became 
part of the show. Yeah. But at first, in the garage, it was just like, how many parts on the record can we cover? And then it became like, if you're going to do that, I got and then and then it literally became like, I could just reach over and sure, you know, hit the octave right. And that's all he was playing. And then it was like, ah. Uh, and then we wrote a song where it was like, where I think from the very beginning, the drummer was like, I'm going to play keys and play the drums on this song. Wow. You know. And then and then we did that. And then I don't know. I was like, why don't we do a scat solo? And they were like, what's scat? And I was Check like, this out. I was like, yeah. It's like. You know, da 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 you just sing with the guitar, you know? Yeah. Why not? We're definitely watching this at Taco Bell. <laughs> we got I got a, I don't know if I have footage, but I've got the I've got the record. Wow. I don't Yeah, this to talk about I'm I am proud of the tones on that record, I'll say. And all of them is an orange A D thirty with just a deluxe memory man and either my black SG or this American strat I had. Hmm. And there's some good tones. The memory man doing a lot. You doing know, a lot. Covering chorus, I'm sure, and doing a lot. Vibrato and delay yeah. and reverb. And a lot of delay. A lot of runaway analog Spaceship? feedback. Oh yeah. Ton yeah, of that. Yeah. Ton of that. And then some of it sort of embellished in in Pro Tools. Like okay. more of it added yeah. for like the end of a song, you know, mm-hmm. it's running away and stuff, which I didn't really do in the studio totally, you know. Wow. I mean we'd do it, but then yeah, the producer would get a hold of it. The producer was also the drummer. <laughs> Although you couldn't see from the live stage show yeah. that he had produced the record. <clears throat> it was wow. good. I'll tell you what I think. And I, this is, I know I'm, I'm just talking about my old band here, but I remember writing for the second record. We never ended up doing that record. And I remember the guys saying, I could see their, they were going to a different place in their life. You know, one of them, two of them were having kids and I was wanting to play more and they were not wanting to play more. We sold out the makeout room twice. We're making like good money. And I was like, you guys, do you know how lucky we are? Like we just, mm. we, we're playing this club. We've got, we're, they're giving us, I think it was, they gave us 70% of the door, hmm. which is a lot. Like mm-hmm. you don't get that, but this wasn't a big club. Yeah. Like this is kind of a popular local bar. And we, I mean, it was standing room only. They, you couldn't get in. And we made like 650 bucks and paid out to like the opener who I had just called. They were banned from LA. Yeah. And I was like, come up. And they were like, how much is the gig? And I was like, I don't know. We'll give you like 300 bucks. And we made their 300 plus our 650. Mm. Plus they gave us some free beer ticket, you know, drink tickets, yeah. you know, and like, I was like, do you know how lucky we are that there's like a bar that can house as many people that wants to come back and will give us 70% of the door? Like this doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, and then we, and then we played bottom of the hill in San Francisco and, and that went well. And they were going to give us a weekend spot now opening for some people. And these guys just, they were just like, they're just over it. And I was like, I was so into like cutting my teeth at the time, like well, that's that'll just cut off there. <laughs> the video just went off because I didn't plug in. We'll finish the podcast here. I was so into just cutting my teeth at the time mm-hmm. that I I would have just I would have played for no money, you know. And I was right. borrowing my dad's van, yeah. <clears throat> my dad's company's van, loading it up with all this gear. Where do you think we go eat after the show? Taco Bell. Taco Bell. There it is. With a van full of stuff. 
and then just like go, kings. Just unload it. Yeah. Get to bed at three fifty in the morning. Oh yeah. Full of Taco Bell. Ours was Del Taco. Of course. It was so it Del Taco in the They they stretched up to like Central California, maybe Kennelman okay. City you could get you could get that, maybe a little further. When I was in that country band, it was always like two two AM like Del Taco runs. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you know it was a good gig. Yeah. Because like quesadilla, like chicken quesadilla add jalapenos, like oh yeah, that's Yeah. So wait for a minute. You are one of the few guys who probably played more country music before moving to Nashville. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh-huh. What was that gig like? You were in a country band. It was a country cover band. Playing the Nocaster. Playing the Nocaster and the, and the Strat. Twain? Every night. Uh, no, we had a dude singer. So You know, Suze, you play no country licks for a guy who was in a country cover band. I would also add to that that I hardly ever played country licks in a country band <laughs> because we played all like... <laughs> You know, rate top forty like radio, like Luke Bryan. So all you have to know is power chords and rock music, and you can play these gigs. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I was also a rhythm guitarist, you know. So like, I laid down like the open A chord mm-hmm. to the G, you know, and right. like everyone else would solo and stuff. But it was it was side money, and I played with a couple friends that I was already you know buddies with, and yeah. they invited me into the band and. Um, we did great. I mean, it was the music was good. Line dancers were happy. Like it was just like a Southern yeah. California sure. country line dancing subculture that was like kind of fun to be in. And sure, we had good gigs. Like we played for some really big rooms and uh, a lot of energy. I mean, it was just, it was fun, you know. And I yeah. made money doing it. And but I was also working three jobs to like pay for California, you know. Right, right, and so moving to Nashville meant. I can have one job know, and be home and at, you know, see my kids. <laughs> Moving to Nashville means I don't have to play country yeah, music at right. 2 a.m. anymore. That's just a California thing. <laughs> Go figure, man. Go figure. Anyway. You do miss California ever? Just the people. I know it's yeah. cliche, but like, yeah. if I can move them all out here, I'd, I'd never go back. Your parents came. My parents came. Shelly's parents came. They're in Columbia now. So who do you want to... It's all the, you know, the old band guys and the old church guys. And, you yeah. know, um, I just want to put them all in a big moving van and have them live in Franklin. But but it might be like Andy's. <laughs> not, not these people. These are no. good people. <laughs> yeah. High school friends, probably not, you know. Uh, yeah. But. I don't know, man. You know, people, like even people three years ago that I knew, people that I was really close to. Just, uh-huh. I remember, I remember this one chick telling her, she was like keep in touch. And I was like, yeah, cause we played it. We, we led together at a church yeah. for a couple of years and we let, we led this band together. The, the band, the church had like three bands. Mm. So there were two, it was one leader for one band, one for another. And then we were like, we need a third band. Can you guys, you guys split it, you know? So she sang a bunch. I would sing. And she was like, I'm going to miss you so much. Blah, 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 blah. We had this kind of older brother, little sister thing going on. And I remember telling her, like, you know, you're going to meet the guy really soon that you're going to marry. And that person's going to be so important in your life. Like, so important. Like, you're going to meet this person. You're going to have all these years of dating them. You're going to get engaged. You're going to get married. They're going to be the most important person in your life. You're going to have kids. And I won't know any of that. And so... I'm not going to know you. Right. 
You know what I mean? You'll be like HW. She was like, we'll keep in touch. And I was like, of course. No, no, of course we'll keep in touch. Right. But it was like, but even if we keep in touch, you know, it was like. It's not the same. It's not the same. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not all bad. Maybe these dudes are just dudes who like guitar, though. Because <laughs> sometimes yeah. it is the same. Oh, right? yeah. oh yeah. I got a bunch of buddies. It is the exact same. Oh, it doesn't yeah. nothing changes. Uh-huh. It, it's the exact and same. And we still text all the time, mostly about gear and whiskey. Right, right, right. You know? Okay. okay. So. Did I meet them? Did, are there any of these guys that came out here last yeah, time? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, like uh, Jared and uh and I don't think Eric's been out, but um yeah, just you know, those guys like friends that are circumstantial. And friends that are like, you know, know we had a class together, so we're friends. We're friends. And then there's these friendships that like supersede that, you know, and, and of course, no, it makes sense. And are timeless, you know? And so like, it's funny to see them like land in categories, you know? But yeah, I think, um, yeah, I had this buddy who was like one of my closest friends and still is. He went away to college and then he, no, or he was about to go away to college and he was like, he one day was just like, well, I mean, if we hadn't lived so close together, would we be friends? And I was like, I mean, I wasn't just your friend because you were like in proximity. Hmm. I thought we were really friends. Right, yeah. <laughs> this guy always said dumb stuff. Uh, we're still super close. Like, yeah. you know, he's a lifelong friend. Of course, yeah. he was just out here visiting. Well. Man, thanks for having me on. That was good. This has been fun. Yeah, sure. I think we should do another one of these. Yeah. You got time right now? Gosh. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I think it's Taco Bell and bed. I think it's Taco Bell and yeah. bed. How long was that? I don't know. I mean, my son has a preschool. Can you see that clock over there? Mm-mm. My son has a preschool uh, interview in the morning. You got to interview for preschools these days. It's very competitive out there. No. They don't actually reject you. <clears throat> At least I don't think. But I think they do screen you for like pretty apparent behavioral problems. Oh. Like, instead of having your parents pay some money and you showing up on day one and you, like, clearly have behavioral issues, right? they let's, would rather you come by the school let's do for, this beforehand. for an hour. Yeah. Talk to the parents about uh-huh. what the school is like. That's definitely something you start doing after, after it's you gone realize. Awry. Yes, <laughs> a yes. couple times. And then you just let this kid just go like hang out in the classroom with other kids his age. Yeah. And like listen to stories. Trial run. Yeah. And if he's not biting or kicking or defecating. on fire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then it's a pretty good chance we're going to be able to turn this one into a productive member of society. And if not... I don't, I don't know what happens to them. I don't know. Well, they're not going to that school. That's for sure. They're not going to that school. That's for sure. Homeschool? Maybe you got to find the school that doesn't screen the kids and just be like, well, enjoy enjoy your first day. It's public school. They have the burden of, they've got to take everybody. Yeah. It's the same thing like with hospitals and stuff. You know, you, 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 uh. You know, for all the bad that like hospitals or or or, or public schools are great where we are, mm-hmm. but you look at like you know the worst school in California, is uh, Crenshaw High School. It's very bad. Seventy five percent of the kids are foster kids. Mm. 
So, of course, it's a bad school. They've got tough lives, you know. And the school's got a tough situation. Right. Really tough situation. Yeah. They don't have a bunch of kids showing up ready to learn, you know? <laughs> right. There's not all these eager, well-behaved kids showing up. This is dangerous minds. like Exactly. <laughs> Big and but, you know, I don't know if Michelle Pfeiffer is going to save this one. That's why when they were doing those, um, that's one of the reasons they were striking in, in LA Unified, you know, yeah. was they want more money uh, for a lot of these things. But one of the things they need is more, they can't have school because they need more counselors and they need more social workers in the school. Right. When you have a community of 75% of kids are foster kids and you're trying to give them social services and counseling during school hours... It's more than half the school. Yeah, it's like, not a high school anymore. Yeah. It's like something else you've created. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't think it's the school's fault. They get whoever the students are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. There's like a real breakdown in society happening <laughs> over there. 75% of kids. That's nuts. Are foster kids. Yeah. Under some temporary uh, custody or they're with their parents, but the court is supervising. Yeah. I mean, this is really... Or in a home or something. Yeah. yeah. This is like re- like really serious stuff, you yeah. know? How did we get on this topic? I thought for sure we didn't on like Taco Bell or something, but... <laughs> what are you getting? Dude, it really depends on what time it is. It's 11.06. Crunchwrap Supreme. Let's go. Let's do it. I've been HW. Seuss. HW out.